Welcome to the Word Podcast. The Lord God has given us His Word. Let us learn it. Let us live it. Let us rejoice in it. Spread the Word. Blessings, everybody. This is Dale. Thank you so much for joining with me today on the Word Podcast. Uh, we're continuing through the Gospel of Matthew. We're at the point where uh, Jesus has died, and they're going to be taking him off the cross. And we've looked at the accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and we began looking at the account in the previous episode in John 19. Got one verse down, right? <laughs> but it's an important verse. So let's look at that verse again, and we'll try to press on, okay? So this is John chapter 19, verse 31, just to remind us. Then the Jews... Because it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So we dealt a good bit with that in the previous episode. If you didn't hear it, go check that out. Verse 32. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other who was crucified with him, with Jesus. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Now, remember, this is John, the Apostle John, that's writing this account under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he was there. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified and his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. Now that verse right there is interesting and important too because John is speaking of himself. All the way through his gospel, he never calls himself by name or anything. But he uh, describes himself as uh, the disciple that Jesus loved. And now here he's saying, he who has seen has testified. So he's saying, I saw this. I am an eyewitness testimony of this. I'm not just telling you this. I am testifying of this. And the idea of being uh, before the Most High God, before the powers that be. And he says, and his testimony is true. So he says, I've seen this. I'm testifying of this. My testimony is true. And he knows that he's telling the truth. He says, I know I'm telling the truth. Sort of an interesting way to reiterate all that, is it not? You know, okay, he has seen, he has testified, his testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth. Why, why that kind of nuance in a way? And we just stopped in the middle of a verse here, but why? Can you imagine, uh, particularly initially, when they find out that Jesus' body is missing from the tomb? We see hints of this in the, in the Gospels. We'll see it later. Uh, you know, the shock they had, the surprise they had. They thought maybe somebody stole the body. Well, that's a, a logical thought, no doubt. But then the questioning that would have come about and how people would have treated you and how what people would say and how they would bring into doubt what you were saying to them. And here John is writing decades later, decades later, and he's addressing that type of mindset. He said, oh, no, no, no. He said, I, I saw this. I'm testifying to this. I know it's true. I know I'm telling you the truth. Because even at this point in time, let's say, I don't know how many years later it might have been, five, six decades later, something like that, when he's writing this, 
that I'm telling the truth. And then he said this. He knows that he's telling the truth so that you also may believe. That is a biggie. That is a biggie, biggie, biggie. That you may believe. John, this disciple right here, was um, he, he described himself as a disciple that Jesus loved. And Jesus was likely closer with him. John was young when he was with Jesus on the earth. He might have been like 18 or 19 years of age when he first started walking with him. So at the point of time when he's at the foot of the cross with Jesus, he's 21, 22, 23, something like that. You know, he was young. When John writes later in his life, he writes the gospel. He write, receives the revelation. And he writes three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Particularly 1st John, he just drives home this point. Little children, little children. He talks about believing. He talks about loving. He talks about believing, believe, believe, believe. He says, I'm writing this to you. I'm testifying to you about what happened on this cross, what happened with Jesus, so that you also may believe. Folks, that's the bottom line. The bottom line is, do you believe? Do you believe what is said about Jesus Christ? If you don't believe, then you're not saved. There's a lot of people that say, oh, I believe, I believe, and I believe I'm believe i saved because I've called the name of but I just don't know about this and that, et cetera. And they get into things and start going down that road and get in trouble. Do you believe? And honestly, this is something that we, we need to keep before people all the time. You know, we act like to actually be in right relationship with the Lord, you have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you do what the Scripture says, call upon him, repent, confess, and be baptized for the remission of your sins. All that's important, folks. Okay? But then we act like, well, you have to come to my church. You have to adjust your life to my schedule and do what we do and dress like we do and say what we do, et cetera, et cetera, to be true believers. And that's just a lie from the pit of hell. Now, John is saying you must believe. Then he says even more about this, verse 36. For these things came to pass to fulfill the Scripture. He says these things that happened to him on the cross, they fulfilled the Scripture. Then he quotes one. Uh, Not a bone of him shall be broken. That's right out of Exodus and Numbers and uh, Psalm 34, talk, talking about the Messiah to come. There won't be a bone broken. There wasn't one. Then he gives another example, verse 37. And again, another scripture. They shall look on him who they pierced. Zechariah prophesied that, Zechariah 12. Then verse 38, John continues on with the narrative. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being the disciple of Jesus. So we've seen Joseph already, right? And we saw that he was a prominent person of the council. So he's a leader. So here, Joseph being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews. Let me stop right there. He was a secret disciple. He didn't proclaim it at that time because he feared the Jews. He feared his comrades here. He was part of the council, and he feared the people there. And you think, well, what is this about? Was he, is, is he not really saved? No, you don't go down that road. Are you kidding? He believed he was a disciple. A disciple simply means a learner. A learner. He was learning about Jesus. He was learning about Jesus. He was going to have to come to the point to where he was going to have to believe or not believe. I think he's already reached that point because of what we've seen with him, him going and mustering up courage to go before Pilate to ask for the body. Boy, that was a proclamation right there before everybody of what he believed. Okay? So here he is. He's a secret uh, disciple. He goes to Pilate, and he asks him that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Now watch this. John tells us about somebody to sort of bring the story around. Okay, Verse 39, 
Nicodemus, who had first to come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds of weight. Now, John talked a good bit about this uh, Nicodemus at the beginning of his gospel. And he goes off. Remember, he met uh, Jesus at night. But now Nicodemus comes, and he's got the myrrh and the aloes, a hundred pounds of it to take care of Jesus' body. See, these are religious rulers who knew and who understood by this time this was the Messiah. They probably knew enough of the Old Testament to realize maybe this is the suffering servant part, you know? So Nicodemus comes, verse 40. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. That's Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, right? Last verse. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Again, it gives us insight to the time, and it gives us insight to the day of preparation. It gives us detail that they were in a hurry right here. Religious rulers want to get those bodies off the cross, right? Them come along, they wrap Jesus up, they prepare him. They put him in that tomb before this high holy day starts. I got a couple questions about that, which we're running out of time. But it appears that these two religious rulers didn't really care that the fact that they handled a dead body. Maybe we'll pick that up in the next episode. Again, I'm Dale. Thank you so much, and I'll see you then. Goodbye.